Hello, and welcome to Device Week, the weekly podcast from MedTech Insight. I'm editor Reed Miller, and with me today is managing editor Marion Webb. So, Marion, last week you covered the virtual HLTH conference, which was a large gathering of some of the biggest players in healthcare, and you covered some of the hottest topics in healthcare. You covered several of the virtual panel sessions of this week-long meeting. So what were some of the highlights, you would say? Yes. Hi, Reed. So this conference featured some very interesting panel sessions and prominent speakers in the healthcare industry. And one of the panels that I wrote about focused on the future of telehealth, which, of course, has been skyrocketing since the start of the pandemic. And, of course, telemedicine companies such as Amwell and Teladoc have been seizing the opportunity to offer providers and consumers the tools they need to have telehealth visits during the height of the pandemic when many patients were simply unable to visit their doctor in person or fearful to be infected with the coronavirus. And this was all enabled by the easing of regulatory restrictions that allowed eligible Medicare beneficiaries to visit their primary care provider and also specialists for all types of services, including emergency department visits and rehabilitation services. Now, the Trump administration announced back in March that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services would temporarily pay clinicians to provide telehealth services. That is for the duration of the pandemic. And so there are many unanswered questions as to where the industry will be heading once the pandemic is over. And the industry, of course, is um, lobbying that telehealth services have become an essential part of healthcare, and it is essential now in making healthcare more efficient, making it more cost effective, and they also believe that it will help improve patient outcomes. So in one panel that featured Amwell CEO Roy Schoenberg and the CEO of the consumer-centric healthcare company, Oscar, the two men discussed how technologies such as artificial intelligence, uh, sensors, and the cloud can open up a new narrative to reimagine healthcare, as Schoenberg put it. Both agreed that that will require a major shift in the healthcare ecosystem and also who are the players that are control that are in control today. So ultimately Schoenberg said he foresees a health system with a balance between virtual and physical care. In another panel, Schoenberg also discussed the company's new partnership with Google, which invested $100 million in Amwell to support the development of its telehealth platform and patient triage, while Google will help scale Amwell's ambition to become an international player. You also wrote a story about Amwell's major rival, Teladoc, based on a conversation between Teladoc CEO and the CEO of Livongo, which is a company they acquired in a mega deal. What can you tell us about that? Yes, so Teladoc acquired Livongo in an $18.5 billion deal which created the largest digital health company. So it was really interesting to hear an update on the combined entity. And both companies have been have also seen surging demand during the pandemic. Lingo, Livango, of course, has had tremendous success with its AI-based coaching platform for diabetes and other chronic diseases. And Taladoc is now leveraging Livango's capabilities to extract real time data and continuous data from devices such as continuous glucose monitoring systems to help physicians make better treatment decisions, help healthcare members intervene before a patient gets worse, and provide nudges to patients to make better decisions such as to eat healthier and exercise. All right. So telehealth is definitely an interesting space to watch. You also wrote a story based on an expert panel that discussed the future of robotics. So what was that all about? Yes. So this panel 
talked about how the pandemic has accelerated the adoption and opportunities to deploy robotics in healthcare. A representative from Surgical Pioneer, Intuitive Surgical outlined key areas of focus for the near term. And it also featured the CEO from Connected Living. And um, she talked about how the deployment of their personal robot called Temi has helped the elderly in senior facilities cope with isolation, which, of course, continues to be a big problem um, during this pandemic, and also to stay connected with healthcare providers and friends panel also featured another CEO, the CEO of Barrett Medical, and he explained how their robot called BIRD is being used to rehabilitate uh, stroke patients. So that was definitely an interesting discussion to follow. And it will be even more interesting to see how this space develops in the future as well. All right. Well, thanks for that, Marion. Yes, Reed. So let's uh, move over to your coverage of this week. You followed the Transcatheter Therapeutics Conference, a huge interventional cardiology meeting that, of course, was all online this year as well. And what can you tell us from that? Right. So there were many device-related late-breaking clinical trials presented at the conference, which, as you said, was just all online this year instead of in Miami as it was planned. So now TCT used to just almost be all about coronary stents and coronary interventions, but now includes a lot of structural heart devices and peripheral interventions too. And that just kind of shows you how catheter-based technology has really developed over the past 20 years. Um, I thought the most noteworthy news uh, from TCT was unfortunately kind of bad news for Boston Scientific. So the results of the SCOPE-2 trial, and that trial compared Boston Scientific's accurate NEO transcatheter valve to Medtronic's core valve Evolute TAVR system, failed to meet its non-inferiority endpoint. Now, that's not a huge shock because the SCOPE-1 trial, which they presented last year, uh, that trial compared accurate NEO to Edwards' Sapien-3 TAVR device, didn't meet its endpoint either. And the problem in both cases was mainly that just there were too, too much uh, paravalvular leak. So now Accurate Neo is actually just the first generation of the Accurate Tavern system that Boston Scientific is trying to develop. The company has kind of moved on and is more interested in developing the Accurate Neo 2 Tavern system, which it thinks will fix some of the problems with the first generation system. And the company is hoping that they could use these two uh, trials of the older version to supplement the data they were going to provide to FDA on the second generation system. And that would maybe help them get FDA approval for the NEO2 system pretty quickly, like as soon as next year. But now that both of these uh, trials of the first generation system just struck out, Boston Scientific is going to go have to go back and figure out a way to rely entirely on the, the IDE trial for accurate NEO2. And that trial is ongoing, but now it's going to have to be a lot bigger than they originally planned, and it's going to take a lot longer. So the long and the short of it is that the company had to tell investors during TCT that they don't expect Accurate Neo to earn FDA approval until 2024. Now, that's three years later than what they had originally hoped. So is that a big setback for the company? Well, it's not great, obviously. So this first-generation Neo uh, device is actually doing okay in Europe, at least according to Scientific. So they're Getting an even better version of that on the market and bringing it to the U.S. market would be a big help. And so this delay of three years is really disappointing. But of course, some analysts pointed out that they didn't actually expect Boston Scientific to have a lot of revenue from Taver at all in 2022 or 2023, which is the, you know, the two years that really the, it makes a difference here. So this won't make a huge difference in their bottom line compared to what they were expecting in the next few years anyway. 
But then, of course, that then highlights the fact that Boston Scientific is way behind its rivals in TAVR in general. Now, they do already have the Lotus Edge TAVR system in the U.S., so that helps. It means they're not completely reliant on the Accurate program. But even that is way behind Edwards and Medtronic in this market. And related to that, I should mention that Boston Scientific had to announce during this meeting that their Lotus program has also been set back. They are doing a trial on Lotus Edge to support expanding uh, the approved indication for that device to include intermediate risk patients. As you remember, the, the pattern with all these TAVR devices is first they you know, work in the people that absolutely cannot have surgery, then they expand to intermediate risk, and then low-risk people. That's what Edwards and Medtronic have done. So Boston Scientific is following that same pattern, but now they're delayed by COVID-19, and they don't think that study, just the intermediate risk people, is going to get done until 2024 before they had said they'd hope 2022. So that's you know two more years for that. You know, like I said, the rivals devices are already approved for patients in all risk categories, including low-risk people. And then by the time, you know, Boss Scientific gets Lotus Edge on the market, say 2024, just for the intermediate risk people, um, the other companies are going to have yet another generation of new devices out, and those will probably be approved for all risk categories. So now, of course, a lot of doctors can just use whatever TAVR valve they want um, for whatever patient they see, you know, fit. But not being able to actually market it specifically for these intermediate and low-risk patients is just another hindrance for Boston Scientific's TAVR program. And, you know, so they're really getting lapped here by their rivals, particularly Edwards and Medtronic, in the U.S. at least. Now, I cannot imagine Boston Scientific would just give up on TAVR at this point because interventional cardiology is what Boston Scientific is all about. But they are just way behind uh, their rivals here, and they really need to catch up. I'm sure they'll talk more about when they provide their quarterly report next week. Yeah, we'll be looking out for that. So you can read about these topics and a whole lot more right now at medtechinsight.com. Of course, we have lots of coverage of COVID-19-related issues, including some of the new tests that are coming out and how governments are trying to manage that and regulate those. Uh, We also have a bunch of coverage of Medtronic's investor day from last week. They made a series of announcements about how they're restructuring the company and investing in faster-growing markets. Uh, we have some coverage of the APAC Med meeting, where J&J's top device executive, Ashley McAvoy, gave a speech about how big companies are handling the pandemic and a whole lot more. You can follow us at Twitter at MedTech underscore Insight. I'm at MedTech Reed with two E's. Marion is at MedTech Marion, M-A-R-I-O-N. Thanks and have a great week.